My name is Glynis Ratcliffe, and I am a recovering opera singer and currently a freelance writer. Recovering opera singer? Yes. Okay, tell, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> See, you didn't do your research. <laughs> well, no. Okay, so um, you, I know that you've recently changed your Twitter yes. handle. Yes. Because I think when my brother first told you, told you, told me yeah. about you, mm-hmm. he sent me at Opera Girl. Yeah, that was my old one. Yeah. I, I had trouble letting go of that because okay. it's, you know, like I, I got on Twitter like eight years ago or something. And yeah. so, you know, like getting a, a username that doesn't involve like weird things or you're, I don't know, Opera Girl was always like my thing because yeah. I was an opera singer. Okay. And uh, yeah, I had trouble letting it go. But So tell like opera singer, like you're, and you're a recovering one, like you hated it. You're just, uh, you're out of... Opera singing rehab. I am in opera singing rehab. Okay. It was a hard career to let go of yeah. because it was a passion for me um, for a long time, but it wasn't a very good money-making passion. <laughs> sure. Um, but I went to, um, I got my bachelor's and my master's in um, essentially opera. It was a bachelor's in music and voice performance. I didn't go that far down on LinkedIn. I just <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's your problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I have two degrees in it. I was teaching. I okay. did some traveling yeah performed in the Czech Republic in England and the States amazing. yeah yeah but it was really really hard um this to is maintain. pre-kids I'm yes. guessing yes um and having kids really I mean I was never super successful mm-hmm. I was making a little bit of money and yeah. trying to make it <laughs> yeah and um and getting by 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 doing things like teaching private students. And um, I taught kids at um, Claude Watson School for the Arts as well mm-hmm. and um, and had little gigs here and there. Um, but it was easy to sink a lot of money into... You spend a lot of money on coachings and yeah. on lessons and on traveling and you pay to audition and all this stuff. So it's um, it's it costs to not be a successful opera singer. Fair enough. And and once I had kids, well, once I had my first, my daughter, um, she she really didn't like it when I sang. She <laughs> she screamed. She cried um, when she starting from like five months old. She then cried. You were too like, did you sing to her? Uh, I mean, I, I did a little bit, but when I practiced, okay, she I was just too loud. I think. Yeah. Opera singers are loud. We're loud. If she's too, if it's too loud, she's too old. Like tell her, okay, what you, what's going on? <laughs> she always when she start when she was able to talk, she started saying, "Mama, shut up, Mama, you need to stop, stop singing." See, and, and you're trained as an opera singer. When I try to just sing, <laughs> yeah. my son, my son just tells me, just you know, he tells that to me as well. You're being annoying. You're not good, and I know I'm not good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's. Uh, that's heartbreaking that your daughter it was, was heartbreaking. telling you that. But I had planned um, between, like, after my first child, I decided I was going to go back for my doctorate so I could teach at the university level sure. and still be, you know, doing some performing, but yeah, not yeah. necessarily relying on that as my sole source of income. Um, and then I got pregnant, mm-hmm. um, which was unexpected. <laughs> sure. And it threw me for a loop because I had just applied for yeah. my doctorate and was working on doing that and it's a five-year program or four to five years and um yeah I ended up with postpartum depression and uh you know it was just suddenly 
there was it wasn't happening and wasn't I didn't want to do it. Okay. I didn't want to sing, I didn't want to create and I found myself doing some content writing for an ad agency. Mm -hmm. Um because I needed money and um how did you get into that? It was a friend of a friend okay. who needed writers. And yeah. my friend remembered that from high school I loved writing. <laughs> wow. And she recommended me. And it was like the best thing to ever happen to me. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned, um, and I'm sure it was at the time, postpartum depression as yeah. if it was nothing. Well, I've, I, <laughs> I had a lot of therapy and yeah. writing was a lot of therapy. Okay. So I've, I've been an advocate for it, yeah. um, for, uh, women who suffer it. I'm yeah. happy to talk about it anytime. So what, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, I, I don't know anything mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, but there seems to have been, I don't know if there still is like a stigma yeah. associated with it. Like no one wants to say they've had it or are suffering yeah. or, um, either personally because they, they feel ashamed or they don't want other people to judge them. Yeah. Um, for for someone like me who really doesn't understand or know mm -hmm. it, what what is it and why are, uh, are, are, are mothers, you know, why are mothers afraid? Um, so, I mean, postpartum depression can actually start while you're pregnant. Mm. Um, perinatal depression, that's what I had. Um, okay. And it's hormonal, partially. Okay. Um, I mean, that's sort of what always um, sends you in in that direction. And nobody can fully predict when that's going to happen. It mm. is, um, you can be predisposed to it if you've had mood disorders oh. in the past. Okay. Um, and I had had, you know, like, sometimes I would get anxious or, you know, feel down, but I never had anything diagnosable. Um, and I didn't have it with my first, hmm. but I had it with my second. And part of it, I think, for me, was situational. Just, like, okay. this total change. Like, we had just decided that I wasn't going to have any more kids. <laughs> wow. And it was like, oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So to walk around, for me, to walk around not being thrilled with being pregnant, mm -hmm. it's such a such a feeling of guilt. Huh. You don't want to admit to something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like... For me, there was some of it while I was actually pregnant, but then I was in therapy, like my midwife recognized the symptoms and sent me to Women's College Hospital for therapy. Oh, wow. Um, so I was, with, I was with a psychiatrist and a social worker, and they were guiding me through. I didn't want to go on medication at that point, so they were just giving me some, uh, some um, just regular appointments uh, for mm. therapy. And... Um, things worked out like I had a really great birth my child my baby was absolutely fantastic mm -hmm. and that's part of I was really concerned because my first was a challenging baby okay um and he was like amazing perfect yeah. easy birth it was just super easy so for like three or four weeks everything was fine yeah and I was happy and then I got postpartum oh. depression anyway yeah and um yeah it was I was in a, um, a postpartum de depression support group at Women's okay. College Hospital, and I was seeing a social worker weekly or biweekly. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I think, the big problem, and I think the issue that women run into, new mothers, um, in terms of the stigma, is just that nobody wants to hear about a mother who 
is sad that they have a baby or you know like there's that assumption that it's you know you're not grateful there are so many women who can't have babies or have I lost see. children yeah. and and so it's supposed to be this wonderful joyous time sure. and it's so um, romanticized mm -hmm. in so many movies and shows and books and it's like oh this beautiful time when you're bonding with your baby when really like you're you know praying that your child latches for the first time in six weeks because he hasn't so far and he's losing weight or you know oh. like so there's all of these oh, stressors yeah. and um and you're supposed to love it through all of it yeah wow <laughs> and and you know all these people all your friends and family are coming in oh it's so wonderful happy happy and and you feel you like you have this, to fake it you should do that you should yeah do but you also feel like you should fake it because they're so happy. There's an expectation. Yeah, I think so. But it's more like a self-imposed expectation. Mm. I think what I've seen is that the more you talk about it, the more so many women will admit to having had feelings like that at some point, sure. whether or not it's ongoing. Yeah. But it's it's really very much because it's so stigmatized, women are afraid to talk about it. And therefore, they can't have that shared experience. And as you're going through, do you do you recognize, oh, my goodness, I'm feeling this way? Sometimes. I think I think the main thing is that you realize that something's not right. Okay. For me, like, I wasn't sad. I was angry. Oh, wow. I was so angry. Like, I, I would go to my appointments at Women's College taking the subway with my baby, and I would want to punch people on the subway. Like, I wanted to fight. Wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. it was just like, it was crazy. So, yeah, it manifests in lots of different ways. And you're doing better now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my, my son is uh, three and a half years old, so yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I love, I love writing about it and speaking about it because I feel like yeah. it needs attention and women need to know that it's okay. And, and what sort of feedback have you received from women that have read your stuff? Um, I get a lot of thank yous. Okay. Yeah, That's it's nice. really, it's very rewarding. Yeah. yeah. And it's helped you as well. Absolutely. That yeah. was my secondary therapy, therapy for sure. Nice, yeah. nice. Um, you you will recognize after this is all done that Kareem is not a expert podcaster. <laughs> I jump around <laughs> all over the place. So okay. let's, let's go back to Opera Girl. Yes, sure. Um, how did you, you know, I can, I don't, I can't figure out in my head how someone comes to that decision <laughs> i want to be an opera singer like did you go to the opera and see someone did you see a movie were, you, were your parents yeah so um my dad worked at cbc radio okay for my entire life he yeah. um we moved from city to city because you know he was he was a sound engineer so um i sometimes got to go to concerts and you know oh. we traveled around to see like big symphonies from Europe there was at one point there was a I can't remember an Austrian an East German symphony that had come over and because it was you know during the communist era mm -hmm. it was such a big deal for them to be performing in North America we traveled somewhere in the states like to Iowa or something okay. <laughs> to see them so um so yeah on his end that was I was exposed to a lot of classical music. My mom started out as a French horn player with a symphony um, with the Winnipeg or Edmonton and Winnipeg symphonies. Um, and then she retired and became a music teacher, high school okay. music teacher. So I was really saturated in it, were there. but none of them, like none of it was opera related, Yeah. but I loved singing. Nice. I always loved singing. So, so you've grown up all over Canada. 
Um, yeah, Edmonton, yeah. Winnipeg, Toronto. Edmonton, okay. Yeah. Your favorite, I guess, and you're out in Whitby now. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, your your fa- like what's like what are, what are some memories you have of, of Edmonton and Winnipeg? Well, Edmonton was only the first year of my life, so, ah, so I don't really and I haven't been back, so okay, <laughs> so I don't really have any. I was just there this summer. There's not, I mean, there's a mall there. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hear there's a mall. It's a little bit bigger than you know the Eaton Win- Center. How long were you in Winnipeg for? Um, until I was ten. Okay. Yeah. So you lived in this area most of your life. Yeah. All right. My grown up life. Fair enough. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, so you got you, you you left opera. Your son was telling you you need a career change. Um, <laughs> my daughter, you mean my your yeah. daughter? Yes, your daughter. Yes. <laughs> um, now, the reason I know that you live in Whitby mm-hmm. again. See, we're going even further back. We're we're all <laughs> over, all over the place. So, what do you actually? What if you don't mind me asking? Mm-hmm. Um, your kids' names. Um, yeah, my son, who's the youngest, is Cashel. Cashel. Uh, Cashel. Cashel. Um, my um, my daughter, who's six, is Anjali. Anjali. Okay. And I have a seventeen-year-old stepdaughter who doesn't live with us. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, the reason I ask is, you're Anisa's neighbor, mm-hmm. and I've been in your house. <laughs> have you? I've been in your house. How did? How yeah, did and I've met your husband. Um, oh my gosh. It's weird, oh. eh? So yeah. when when you when my brother was doing his swing set thingamajig yes. Yes. last year, yes. uh, I was there the day that we moved his old one over right. to your <laughs> yes over the fence over the fence over so the other fence. So I had to go out and come back through your house <laughs> to go into your backyard <laughs> to receive to receive yes. yeah, yeah to help your husband <laughs> out. Um, but I know sometimes it's it's very interesting. Going to Anise and Vanessa's place, yeah, uh, because every once in a while, they, you know, they, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting neighborhood. It's a very young, yeah, yeah. neighbor, young families and yeah. stuff, and so kids are in and out of the house, yeah, all the time. So I was wondering if any of your kids' names were familiar to me. Oh yeah, no, they see. haven't so much. Anjali and Isaac have done some, uh, some playing with sidewalk chalk together. Okay. Last summer. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's really, really cool. And yeah. we've been there a couple of times for like Halloween. Yeah. And stuff. It's yeah. a, it's really nice. They're all young families. It's a good neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and and Whitby. So Whitby. Hmm. Um, there's been a there's been guests from Whitby that have come oh. on the podcast. Okay. And future guests. Okay. So. Uh, another writer, Morgan Campbell. Oh, okay. He's with the Toronto Star. Cool. He's okay. in the area. His wife, Perdita Felicien. Okay. Who's that, a fo- oh. world champion, Canadian champion hurdler. hurdler. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously She's out she, there. Yeah. That's so cool. And uh, I've been trying for over a year to get Rob Butler, a former oh, Blue Jays World yeah. Series champion. Yeah. I think him and his brother own a baseball academy. Oh, cool. Out, uh, out in Whitby as well. So wow. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get him on. Yeah. So, um, so Whitby is like a hotbed of guests. Well, yeah. And then there's, <laughs> there's Caitlin from Degrassi. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. She was in my daughter's, uh, like her son, <laughs> she wasn't, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> her son was in my daughter's uh, kindergarten class last year. He's so they're in the neighborhood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I need a niece to hook me up. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I don't remember her, <laughs> her off-screen name right now. <laughs> but she's, yeah, she's active at the school. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> so on your Twitter handle. Yes. Um, I believe it's in your Twitter handle. Part of your bio says feminist. Yes. Feminist mama. Yes. So tell me, what is it to be a feminist woman today? 
It's complicated. Okay. It's a lot more complicated than it was 20 years ago. We have 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Okay. Um, You know, um, I read The Beauty Myth and was a fan of Gloria Steinem. And um, it, it was always, I always believed in standing up for women's equality and I don't know I didn't really have any sort of formed Mm. opinion per se in my say 20s but having kids and especially having you know an older daughter an older stepdaughter Mm -hmm. and then uh my my biological daughter um really changed how I looked at the world and um what I thought was fair and wasn't fair Mm. um and and that has changed even since, you know, my biological daughter has been born because um, intersectionality is such an important element that has been sorely missing from mm. feminism. Yeah. Um, and making space for women who um, haven't traditionally been given space in the feminist. You know, it's, it's always been like racial activism, feminism, how about we put them together? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that I've really um, appreciated is um, getting to know writers who are um, who are activists in that um, in that sphere mm-hmm. and and learning. Okay. And just shutting up and learning. Is it enough that we have a? I don't know what it's like now, but a, a federal cabinet that's fifty fifty. Um, or is that just, you know, making a few people happy? Yeah. Like, is there more work that needs to be? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is, um, so interestingly, our um, our MP is, um, in Whitby, is uh, Selena Cesar Chavez. I She's going through it? a lot of stuff now, isn't yeah. she? The, yeah. Yeah. Online. Because, yeah, she has been taken to task by like Rex Murphy and a whole bunch of, you know, like middle-aged white men, essentially, because she's standing up for, you know, for inclusion, for racial diversity, for, you know, Black Lives Is Matter. Is there something that she said or did? She did. Um, and I'm trying to remember exactly... Um, I know that she was in Oprah magazine <laughs> talking oh, about okay. um, talking about it, and yeah. um, I can't remember the exact thing that mm-hmm. happened, but she she's been very outspoken about yeah. diversity and and that you know Canada isn't necessarily doing enough, mm. and um, she's been getting taken to task. Wow, and so. I did not know Rex Murphy was still a thing. Oh God, is yeah. He still around? Well, the National Post thinks he is. I, ah, yes, that's right. He's still yeah. racing it. It's very interesting because we used to listen to him every Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Cross country checkup. Yeah, cross country checkup, and he was and he was decent. Mm-hmm. He's a really decent host. Yeah. Um, and, and then I started, you know, reading his stuff in the in columns, and I go, Yeah. No, this is a different Rex Murphy. Are there two <laughs> two Rex Murphys? <laughs> no. And in fact, once he started having those rants on on CBC TV, like mm. on the national at yeah. the end, it was, you know, I, you, you could sort of start to see that he had some views that were maybe yeah not in the middle. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. 
fair enough. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about some stuff because you're very. Um, I like I like your Twitter, your feed. <laughs> it's some some very interesting and cool stuff. Okay. Um, and let's let's talk about let's talk about Nora. At is it at No Lore? Oh, I think is her Nora Laredo. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it was very interesting because when okay, so for those people who don't know, and um, it's it's true, there'll probably be a lot of people that don't know because if you're not yeah online or on Twitter, yeah. I don't know whether that, you well, read this stuff anywhere else. There, no, you no. would read it in the Sun. Yeah, there right? were a lot of diatribes Fair enough. written. There, so there was. So so she is um, someone. I don't know where she lives, uh, but she. Had a series of tweets, obviously, um, after uh, that horrific b- bus accident in Saskatchewan uh, that took a dozen or so young men and women. 16. 16, yeah. right? Um, you know, so she tweeted out, you know, obviously her condolences and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, within these series of tweets, um, she had an observation. Yeah. Which is not an observation that a lot of people didn't have, I believe, because I had the same observation. Yeah. I had the same observation uh, that she did. Um, I was too chicken, to be very honest with you. Everybody was. To tweet was. anything out. Everybody um, was. But she tweeted something to the effect, and, and to the effect that um, these were all, at the time, mm-hmm. uh, young white men. Yep. Um and maybe that has, that's one of the reasons why um, I think there's just like so much money in this GoFundMe yep. campaign. Something to that effect. Yep. You can go, you guys, whoever's listening can go and check it out. Um, and she, she also tweeted afterwards that, um, you know, she's, she is not saying that they shouldn't get this. Mm-hmm. She's just observing what has happened. Yep. And, that one tweet of hers, yep. you know, not the half a dozen or so that surrounded it, mm-hmm. um, caught on fire as a result of somebody posting it on Reddit. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it just went bonkers. Yep. And then every uh, right-wing political writer, broadcaster, yeah. um, not just in Canada. No. In no. the States. Yeah. Uh, jumped on her. Yeah. Um, and she seems to be taking it okay. I don't know her. Well, she got fully doxxed. Like, she's had horrible threats. People are calling her. People are emailing her. Yeah. Um, let's start from the beginning. Um, what she tweeted. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts. Um... I think she said something that was going to be inflammatory, mm-hmm. no matter who said it. Yeah. Um, and she was the... Do you think timing would have mattered if she said it like a month from now? I don't know. Maybe. I Maybe. Um, I can't remember what day she tweeted it on, but it's interesting because a family member and I actually had a very similar conversation mm. on last Monday night. So it was just a few days after it had happened. And it, it, it wasn't me that actually brought it up, mm. but it was my, the family member who said, you know, do you think like, it seems kind of crazy that there's, you know, when you think about like the Syrian children who 
were just gassed. And, you know, like the mosque shooting that happened a year ago, like mm -hmm. there wasn't anywhere near this type of attention. Mm -hmm. And is that okay? And I, I was like, well, um, I mean, it's, it's kids and it's hockey and it's Canadian. And it's sort of like, I'm sure that that's, you know, like the, a lot of people are, who are parents can just identify with the possibility of losing a child. Hmm. But I, um, it is an interesting thing to observe. What's, why do we get so angry with people, not just their opinions, but with, with people's observations? And I think opinions are one thing, mm -hmm. um, but I think observations, you know, maybe it was the timing. Yeah. You know, but what is it with people attacking so much? And I don't want to pick a side yeah. here or anything, yeah. but because I'm because you know what, it probably happens on 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 both sides. Yeah. Um, but you know, what's with all this attacking? Um, I have heard that there's something about social media that encourages people to fight. Hmm. Um, so that may be part of it. The fact that it was on Twitter and there's no context, like you can't sure. hear an inflection. You can take things out of context so easily. Um, but it's also, I think observations are often, uh, interpreted as opinions, hmm. especially without, especially taken out of context. Yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, the things that I heard were, you know, like, people were accusing her of wishing these boys had died or happy that they were. And she said nothing like that. You no. know what I mean? But like, what a horrible, it's because I think it's because of context. I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a bit scary to be but on it's, social you know, media. It's, it's one thing for at, uh, Joe one, two, three. Yeah. With an egg as a, as their avatar. Mm hmm to say something. Yeah. It's another for um for writers um and columnists mm -hmm. um in newspapers. Yeah. Um you know, broadcasters on television. Yeah. and radio. Mm -hmm. to take things out of context. Yeah. Don't you think? Well, it's what seems are your to be happening more and more. Yeah. And I think it's a reflection of what we see with our neighbors to the south. And mm. I think that there it's just a it's become more acceptable. And I think that part of it is the bite-sized culture mm. that we live in of, you know, people who are sharing you know, what they don't understand on Facebook, they're sharing some sort of um, meme that, or like a, an article that they've only read the headline of. Yeah. But they're sharing it anyway because they agree with the headline. But sure. maybe the content isn't that. <laughs> or maybe it's fake news. Or maybe it takes you to a site where they, you know, mine your data. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people aren't taking the time to really absorb what they're looking at. It's like information, information, information. Okay. Yeah. That is bad. Oh, that is good. I'm mm. going to share that. I'm going to excoriate that person on Twitter because obviously they're wrong. I don't care about the rest of her Twitter, Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? What, you know, you're a writer, you mm -hmm. write, you write for a number of different publications. Mm -hmm. Um, 
clickbait. Mm-hmm. You know, how much does that come into play where, you know, editors or, you know, I don't know, publishers are, are, are taking a look at Google Trends and, yeah. and they're seeing what's hot at that moment yeah. and they tell somebody, okay, write something about this, take this position. Um, you know, how much does how much does that come into play? How much does, you know, now that we've, <clears throat> you know, with all this news that's happened over the past year, two years now, mm-hmm. where, you know, we, we learned that these um, these clickbait farms or whatever you want to call them uh, out in Eastern Europe were writing stuff about um, Hillary Clinton that didn't get a lot of clicks. But as soon as they started writing about Trump, they got a lot of clicks. And, you know... W- has this impacted journalists and writers to um, to take a step down to write things that are inflammatory rather than things that have gone through research? I actually think it's the opposite. Okay. Um, I think that um, ye old internet went through a big phase about three years ago where mm. clickbait was it. And, I mean, I wrote for a couple of publications that, I mean, it was really clickbait. It was, you know, ExoJane, which was all about the salacious, like, I slept with my ex-boyfriend's sister, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was about getting clicks. And, you know, I worked for a bigger media publication, which is still really big, but um, they were very in tune with SEO, with Google Analytics, and looking and getting on top of, of trends and using all of the keywords mm. so that they would hit the top of the search. Um, and I think that now there's certainly more rigorous fact-checking that's happening, at least in the Canadian publications that I've been writing for. And, um, and I think that... Um, editors are less likely to go for clickbaity. Try I mean obviously clickbait is kind of like the worst term, but mm. obviously when you're looking when you're trying to figure out a headline for okay. an article, you want something that people are going to click on, but you don't want it to be like editors that I've spoken to don't want the salacious anymore. Are people going to be afraid now since uh, you know what what uh, Nor has gone through mm-hmm. to utilize social media to give their opinion? It's a good question. Um, I don't think that this has actually gotten enough press, ironically, um, for... Hmm. I mean, I think maybe within the media who know. um, Like, I, I couldn't talk to my American friends who write for... I don't know, the Washington Post. They wouldn't necessarily know about this, mm-hmm. but um, I know that the local writers that I've spoken to have definitely said, you know, they... I, I know some people who have... who fully support what what she did and would love to speak up in support of just being able to observe mm-hmm. and um, don't dare because yeah. they don't want to be doxxed. Like yeah. they, you know, we're all thinking, oh, well, I've got kids. Fair, yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to be called out and my kids named on Twitter. Well, especially after hearing that this um, you know, the guy that uh, that shot up the mosque in, in Quebec, mm-hmm. you know, did so because he believed certain things that he had read um, yes. and wanted to make sure that these terrorist immigrants didn't get out into his neighborhood. Yeah. Right, which is, 
It's crazy stuff that's happening. Yeah. Glennis. Um Tony Robbins. Yeah. Had a had a you know, had a hashtag me too moment recently. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was that was very interesting because prior to this, um I'm not a, I've never been a massive fan. I've recognized the sort of um fan base mm-hmm. that he has and the mm-hmm. rabbit following that he has. And it seemed to me to be all positive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but this video caught me off guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I Did you watch I Am Not Your Guru? It's, it's the... No, that's the Netflix. Yeah, the biopic. Yeah. Um, now, is that, produced, is that produced by him? Yes. Okay. So, but what was interesting to me was that he can be really aggressive hmm. and really push things. And he's very like, I mean, I am, I'm the biggest swearer, <laughs> you know, there <laughs> is like, I love a good swear word, but I was shocked at how much he was swearing in like when he was interacting with, with people who were there at his conferences. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You never um, see that on the commercials. No, no, but he is, he yeah. drops F bombs like nobody's business. Yeah. So, um, so I was actually shocked at how aggressive he was at certain points, hmm. um, with some of the a- attendees. Um, so I saw that in what he did, but it was wrong. Mm-hmm. I also heard from somebody who said that it was taken, it was part of a video taken out of context and mm-hmm. that there was actually good on either side of it. I see. But still, like yeah. it's sort of, it's a, it's a hard, um, it's a hard line to walk these days. Mm-hmm. And I think he probably should have been more careful, but I didn't see the rest interesting. of it. Interesting, yeah. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, as, as I was going through your website mm-hmm. um, and taking a look at all your different articles, um, the one thing that jumped out at me, Glynis, was you write about everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Like I saw stuff about technology, mm-hmm. uh, vitamins. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your specialty? How do you, how do you get involved with all these different topics all over the place? Um, so I'm a little bit of a jack of all, all trades mm-hmm. because I love research. Okay. Like I love learning. Yeah. That's, this is... It's so funny because people are, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, like you have to do like essays, which is something that everybody hated in <laughs> high school and university, right? Yeah. But I loved it. Like I love learning about new things. So, you know, um, just last week I had a, an article with um, Chatelaine about the Minister of Loneliness yeah. in the UK. And is that a real? See, I didn't know whether that was real. Yeah, that's a real thing. That's amazing. It's, it was a, yeah, um, it was actually the, I want to say the the games or it was like there's a minister that already does like well-being related okay. stuff and they officially appointed her also the minister of loneliness after mm. doing this long um they did like a study um that was funded by the government Joe Cox who was um, murdered she was one of the MPs and she was murdered by an extremist a right-wing extremist oh, wow. um like a year Almost two years ago. Um, or was it a year ago? She was murdered right in front of her constituency office. office mm. And she was really, really dedicated to studying loneliness and the effect that it had on people in the UK. Okay. And so 
I found it fascinating that, you know, that there was this thing. And I started thinking about it. And, you know, like, I, I'm really interested in mental health research. And mm. I've, I've done a lot of, like, I've read a lot of studies. I've done a lot of writing in terms of, like, postpartum depression, depression, various um, things. And once I started looking into it, it was, it was fascinating to see how much how many studies there were that linked l the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of social isolation to physical ailments. Huh. It is widely, widely studied. And I mean for decades. That's so, crazy. Do you think this will be a trend across the Western world in parliamentary democracies? I don't know about whether other governments are ready for that, hmm. but um, I do know that it's being written about far more. There are the former Surgeon General, the U.S. Surgeon General, mm -hmm. um, has taken this on as his cause, and he's written about it quite extensively as wow. well. So, and is talking about it. So, you know, it's a thing. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know anything about it going into the article, but I yeah. pitched it, and um, they were interested. The editor, one of the editors at Chatelaine, was interested in it, and. I mean, it was just this deep dive. I think I probably read about 40 studies about various elements of, mm -hmm. you know, what loneliness affects. And I, you know, interviewed a bunch of people. And it was just, it's fascinating. So that's what I do. I have, a, cool. <laughs> I have an article about, about emergency preparedness in Canada that I also did, like, crazy research, like looking at census data on, you know, the Canada website and like talking with, you know, Health Canada for, you know, their, it, yeah, it's, I just love. How do you do, so does your editor come to you or do you go, do you pitch stories? What's No, I of, pitch stories. You pitch stories. Yeah. And what sort of grabs you? Like, I, so I can understand, you know, you're reading, wow, a minister of loneliness. This mm -hmm. is very interesting. Sounds like I, this is what I would say. Is this real? <laughs> <laughs> and if it is, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, emergency preparedness, I'd go, yeah, whatever. So what well, interests, what, tell me, what interests you? Like, um, what catches your attention? Anything environmental. Okay. Definitely passionate about. Um, I worked at the Big Carrot for seven years. Okay. Um, Danforth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I was really into um, environmental... Um, care, mm -hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better uh, word, and and just you know like more um, conscious living, mm -hmm. I guess, and um, a lot of those elements of of that. There's just such a wide reaching, like that is sort of like it's a drop in the bucket, and all of those ripples. It just it takes you into so many varied topics. So I just need to think for a minute like this whole thing about microfibers plastic microfibers have you heard about this no tell me plastic microfibers <sighs> um so i mean there's this you know a year or two ago there was microplastics these like tiny little beads that are oh. found everywhere like yeah, yeah. everywhere in and they're finding the them in marine animals now yes and so, yes yeah, okay. and we're likely consuming them and everything like that um microfibers are from the clothes that we wear okay and the stuffed animals that we buy and stuff like all these tiny little... So most of the stretchy stuff we have is Go on, yeah. um, is made from plastic or rayon. And um, all of those things don't break down. And the tiny little fibers... 
that's interesting stuff. Yeah, the tiny little fibers that yeah. break off during every wash, yeah. they um, end up in the water system. And the question is whether they end up um, in plant life. Yeah. Like whether they, so it's, it's proven that they end up in green bins. Um, and so they're getting, uh, they're getting put into uh, fertilizer. So they're getting into the ecosystem, the agricultural system. And now are we, are we consuming it? How much of it are we consuming? Is it in plant life now? So is this your next article or? Uh, well, it's something that I've been, yeah, I'm, st I've been pitching some stuff. Ah, yeah. Really, really <laughs> cool. I, I want to find out about this. Okay. Um, your grandfather's manuscript. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about your grandfather and what is this manuscript that you've just recently discovered? Okay. So my grandfather um, escaped Nazi Germany. Okay. Um, his family uh, was killed in the Holocaust. And um, what I knew growing up, he died when I was 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. um, and what I knew growing up was that, you know, there was a whole bunch of my family that died in the Holocaust. And we didn't really talk about it very much. I knew that he had ended up at some point in England in some sort of school and then ended up in some sort of camp in Canada. That's kind of the majority of what I knew. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to talk about it. Sure. He, um, and then, uh, and then a year ago, his um, his second wife, um, my step grandmother, passed away. And so my grandfather died 25 years ago, um, but a lot of the stuff that was his was still in her basement okay. from when they lived together because they were together for like 15 years. Sure. Um, so. Her, my step-uncle was going through stuff in, in her basement and came across this binder, and it was this typed-out manuscript from 1959. Wow. And it was, um, on the front page, was this beautiful rejection letter from McClelland and Stewart, which was, you know, like, the biggest Canadian publisher. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, a very encouraging rejection Okay. But clearly he hadn't done anything, anything with it. So it was this 300-page, what he called fiction. He, Have you read it? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Okay. So, so he calls it fiction at the beginning. Yes. Um, and disavows anything being based on reality except for the main characters. And then I read his life. Wow. And as I was reading it... I would go to my mom and I would sort of confirm, okay, yeah, I knew he grew up in Nuremberg and, oh, wait, like, what, where, where is it? Like, he's describing this area and I go and we find out, like, we knew the, the address that he grew up at and it's, like, a couple of hundred meters from the main Nazi party, um, like, where they had the big um, rallies. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading it and I'm reading it and it, everything is checking out as being his life. Wow. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, it's clearly his life, even though he calls himself, you know, this other name. Yeah. Um, and then I get to this part where he's in Switzerland and he um, meets a, a Hitler youth leader whom he knew back in Germany. This is the main character, right? And yeah. I'm reading it as my grandfather. And, and they have an altercation because um, this Nazi youth leader is threatening to send his parents to a death camp. Um, huh. And they have a fight, and he pushes him off a bridge. 
and I'm like, what? You put, who pushes who off a bridge? My grandfather pushes this Nazi oh, off geez. a bridge, and he dies. And my grandfather is on the run and get, like, How and... How do you even verify? Wow. Well, that's my journey. <laughs> that's amazing. It's incredible. Like, it is... I mean, it's it's the most profound gift just to learn so much about these things, like about my grandfather's life, because as I've been reading it, I've been able to, you know, like we found little bits and pieces that we've been able to put together about his life through, you know, like random photos that we didn't understand. Yeah. Or, you know, like had a little inscription on the back that we didn't have any context for. And now it's like, wow, yeah, he wrote about his life. So is this real or not? So I'm planning on What traveling. does the family think about all of this? Um, everybody has insisted that there's no way I can confirm this. Sure. And they're probably right. But, yeah. I mean, my mom has just been astounded. Hmm. It's incredible. And it's so, it's so wonderful to just rebuild, like, to have this connection with him. And especially on this level. I mean, I'm Jewish by birth, but I'm not. You know, like I don't, I don't have that identity, but mm. I, but I do. Yeah. So, to to get to to know this, and and eventually, I'm I'm planning on flying over to uh, do some checking of records. Wow. Um, and do some translations of newspapers and stuff. And are you going can... to? Do you, is there any thought in your mind? I don't know if this is too soon, or you. I'm thirty pages in. <laughs> that okay. I've started writing. <laughs> Well, you've started writing. Yeah. What about publishing just that? The manuscript? Um, it's going manuscript? to be a combination. Yeah. So his words are going to get out. I mean, some of his observations, the things that he wrote are incredible. Like, he has some really relevant things to say about refugees, about being a refugee, about watching a dictator rise to power and to watching fascism take over a nation. Like... He says things that are so prescient to the world we're living in right now. It's just, I mean, his words need to come out. So I am working on a way to get them out. Wow. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah. Me too. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, okay, there's a movie somewhere. Yeah. In here. <laughs> where, what process? So you're, you're 30 pages. Are, is, is there a publisher that's on board? Where, no. Where are I'm, we with this? I'm, uh, this is your this is your thing, whether it gets published or not, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of support in terms of people who are interested in reading it. So mm -hmm. I think that they're... And I've spoken with some agents and some publishers, and everybody says it's a golden idea. Um, I just need to get over to Europe to finish the story. <laughs> and This sounds fascinating. Yeah. It, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. I don't know where to go from there, but no. that's really good. That's 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 really good. Thanks. Um, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Next time I'm at my brother's house, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to feel comfortable knocking on this. I think knocking so. on the door. I think maybe it'll be time for some like barbecue yeah. or drinks on the porch. Absolutely, and thank everyone for for joining us. Um, again, my name is Kareem Kanji. You can, excuse me, you can follow me on Twitter at Kareem Kanji and Glennis. Where can I don't know if you want people to follow you on Twitter. Or <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not going to berate me for my stance on Nora Laredo. Um, it's at Glennis Ratcliffe. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can check this conversation and other ones at uh, girthradio.com uh, or creamkanji.com. And again, please, if you 
listen to this on Apple Podcasts, uh, please rate and review. Um, and if you just happened upon this, please consider subscribing. I'd really, really appreciate it. Uh, we have some really cool upcoming guests. Uh, we have Michael Barkley, who's actually in studio right now waiting. <laughs> There's like a lineup here. Um, but also coming, we have um, lead singer uh, of Glass Tiger, Alan Frews, coming in studio soon, um, as is Simon Law from uh, Grammy Award-winning Soul to Soul and uh, NC2A champ, world champ, and Canadian champ from Whitby, uh, Perdita Felician. Glynis, thanks again for joining me. Thank you.